on this episode of Why Watch That. And yeah. quite frankly, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. What a worthy way to leave your legacy. I had a sigh of relief. Yes. Um, watching yeah. it. Yeah. We're going to put a mister on his name. Mr. That's Glenn right. Turbin. Senator. <laughs> <laughs> that juke joint woman sweating on stage, taking names, forging the way. And when she comes into the room, you better move. <laughs> then he kind of went away <laughs> for a little bit because we we're all like, where's Yasky? <laughs> Because a lot of times Steve McQueen stuff is abrasive. There is no soul. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. It's like an institution. Why watch that as a podcast featuring the critic and referee who go head to head on a quest to discover the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. Expect the unexpected from the critic. Well, nothing gets past the ref. We do all the work. So you don't have to. Welcome, Welcome to, to Why Watch, watch That. that. This episode of Why Watch That is supported by Entrepreneur Meal Plan. It helps leaders and professionals feed their bodies and businesses well. You know, Critic, I got Mm. a chance to attend a wonderful event by EMP here Uh in Los Angeles. And it was so amazing because Brandy Cochran was able to gather people from all sorts of walks of life. We were able to gather together, have real talk and some real good food too. Mm -hmm. It was a hit. It's food for the soul and the body, which is so hard to find. So if you want to learn more about Entrepreneur Meal Plan, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, go to entrepreneurmealplan.com. A why watch that sneak peek. I am so excited about this sneak peek. (laughs) I really am for reasons that are probably obvious. Mm -hmm. And then for reasons that may not be so obvious unless you know me personally and the critic personally. (laughs) We got a chance to see a sneak peek of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And this is an August Wilson coming to us on the big small screen. Depending on how you watch it. Well, if you go, there's only, yeah, it's medium sized screen. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom by August Wilson, the great playwright. And if we had dames and sirs Mm. in this country, he would be known as Sir August Wilson. He really is likened unto the uh, penmanship of a David Mamet on stage. If you're zipping into modern day dialogists. Ooh. Then um, we would go with Aaron Sorkin. Dialogists. Yes. I had to say that. (laughs) (laughs) So this is someone who the, not only the black community, I'm not going to say that because that's a disservice to to pin August Wilson only to the black, but the playwright and theatrical community. Yeah. We revere this man and he's coming to us again Mm. on um, off of the stage and into our homes by Netflix. And this will be December 18th that 
everyone can enjoy yet another August Wilson. And some of you are like, wait a minute, what, what, what? That sounds familiar. Remember Fences? Yeah. A couple of years ago with Denzel Washington, Viola Davis, and et cetera. Same playwright, same producers, basically. And some of the same people, we'll get into that in a second, are returning to Wilson's work. Uh, Ruben Santiago wrote the screenplay. We know August Wilson wrote the play. It is directed by theatrical veteran George C. Wolf. Now, Wolf has not only done theatrical things, Wolf is also a director who um, recently did that HBO, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, if you Mm -hmm. remember that, on HBO, Like a One of Blues, that was also on HBO. And And also connected to Ruben Santiago Hudson, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he's done, you know, many, many other films that he's directed. And he's acted, don't forget, Devil Wears Prada. (laughs) 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 When he tries to give that that suggestion and Miranda Priestley goes, no. And boy, does she tell him that. Um, and so, you know, George C. Wolf, I, I mean, it's certainly no stranger to, to the stage. Yeah. George C. Wolf and Ruben Santiago teamed together to bring us also an amazing cast. Of course, leading the charge um, on top bill is um, Viola Davis, who plays Ma Rainey herself, and the late, and I'm going to say great in a sincere way, Chadwick Boseman, who plays uh, Levy, a very well-known character, and this is his last performance. Mm. There's no other footage of anything else out there with Chadwick um, completing a project. This is his last. And quite frankly, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. What a worthy way to leave your legacy. It's, it's, um, I had a sigh of relief. Yes. Um, Watching it, yeah. Glenn Turman, one of our favorites, who I first met, for me, I met Glenn on Different Worlds. That was when Mm. I first met Glenn Turman. And Coleman- You mean not Gremlins? You're right, Gremlins. No, yes, Gremlins. It was Gremlins. Uh I was gonna say no, Poltergeist, but that wasn't, that's not, no. That was um, Beyonce's stepdad. (laughs) (laughs) He was was in Gremlins. But uh, Coleman uh, Domingo, who played Levy on stage at one point is in it along with many, many others. Literally, we can just go on and on um, of who's coming to visit us in Ma Rainey. I have to say that when we talk about this, we're gonna talk about it, not in an insensitive way, meaning we both agree about Chadwick Boseman. And the question then becomes, when you watch it, this is what I'm posing for us and for just to, to dip it into the listener's psyche. When I watched it, are you able to transfix yourself into the world of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom? Mm. Or are you on the outskirts looking in yeah. kind of sad and, you know, whoa, this is his last. I found myself skirting between the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, of just being like, oh, wow, this is interesting. And then I zoom back out and go, oh, is this a a project that's going to be enough for us to bring us into that world and keep us there? Or are we going to be skirting around a bit nostalgic uh, Mm -hmm. because we know what we know? Yeah. Um, Well, with that important question, let's answer the question of the plot. So it's 1927. (laughs) Uh, We end up mainly in Chicago. Ma Rainey and her band 
come off tour to record an album. And Maz, the mother of soul, the predecessor of Bessie Smith, get that straight. And she demands- will let you know, yes. And she will also let you know that she will be accommodated. Now, why shouldn't she? You know, why yeah. shouldn't she? Yeah. And, and what would happen if she didn't demand to be accommodated? Because it's a certain time period. And yes. just because we ain't in the South don't mean, you know. That's right. Now, she travels with her nephew, whom she mandates will <laughs> introduce the album's title track. Okay, Bob Reedy's Black Bottom, that is. But is he up to it? <laughs> Plus, what exactly is the Black Bottom? Mm. Okay. Also, Ma travels with a female companion, a young woman she'd rather not allow the band to get to know. But why is that? Mm. And is now, she willing to reciprocate? <laughs> well, there's all kinds of reciprocal things that are in trouble here in this Uh-oh. movie, play, whatever Uh-oh. you want to call it. Now, <laughs> outside of that, there are the two white dudes. Okay. Ma's manager is included in that. And they're paying for the recording. Now, they have ideas about how the session should go. But this is Ma's show. She has made and continues to make the money. Okay. As for the band, there's the bass player, Slow Drag, played by Michael Potts. There's trombonist and band leader, Cutler, played by Coleman. Uh, there's piano player, Toledo, played by Mr. Glim Turbin. You got, we're going to put a Mr. on his name. Mr. That's Glim right. Turbin. Senator. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Senator, Mr. Glim Turbin. <laughs> and hotshot trumpeter, Levy, played by Chadwick. And Levy is a slick talk and a man who knows his worth probably a little too much. He's got big dreams, that one. Mm-hmm. Watch it. And it causes him to clash with everyone, including Ma. So Cutler wants to rein Levy in. Toledo wants to reason with him, but Toledo's form of reasoning is a bit too lofty for this crowd, okay? And Ma wants him gone. Mm. But does she have more reason than one for that? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. As a result, the stage has been set for quite the recording experience. And it's one that's going to be full of banter and seriousness, trash talk and threats. (laughs) 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 Along with musical flourishes and power plays. Now, all of this is under the specter of the trauma of past and present racist violence and oppression which led to a desire to migrate from the South to the North in search Mm -hmm. of whatever hopes and dreams were possible. But in many cases, wound up being illusory and or co-opted. Yeah. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. An empty door leading nowhere. Now, my review. Director George C. Wolfe understands the rhythm of music. And when he films the music, especially during the opening sequence, which is set in the South, his staging of Broadway's Jelly's Last Jam comes to mind in a good way. Mm -hmm. However, I wish that there was greater musicality in the delivery of the dialogue. I mean, early on, I wanted the actors, many of whom have experienced, like you were talking about, Ref, performing August Wilson's work. I wanted them to slow down a little more at times. And toward the end, I wanted them to speed up at times. 
Sometimes they got it right and sometimes they got it wrong. Now, this is important because this is based, like we've said, on a play and going to the screenwriter, Ruben Santiago Hudson, who is an August Wilson expert, keeps the theatricality of Wilson's writing in this adaptation, which is appropriate. However, as a result, the timing really has to be right at all times for the staginess of the dialogue to be overcome on film. Now, just like in Denzel's directorial version of Fences, another Wilson, that's a Wilson masterpiece. They attempt to open things up by having outdoor scenes, but the smell of the stage is always right there. Also, like I said, Fences is a masterpiece. Ma Rainey is not, in my opinion. Uh, despite that, though, there are some bright spots. Uh, when the actors in the band have lines that play off of each other, the staccato rhythms and humor of Wilson's writing shines through. When Viola is uh, sweating, makeup smeared, grill in her mouth, Ma, that's who she's playing, who, by the way, was a real person. When she gets a moment to take a breath and take her time, she lands her beats, which this film needed more of. It's not there enough. And finally, it was very nice to see Chadwick in his final role play this slick talking, pucked up man who has insecurities, has this tragic past that threatens to derail uh, not only his career, but also his life, along with the lives and careers of the people around him. Seeing Chadwick in this role was a pleasure. Yeah. So, while this isn't as successful, in my opinion, as the film adaptation of Fences, I prefer that adaptation to this. And while all of its moments don't really gel in a way that credibly builds up to the climax, there are things to like about My Rainey's Black Bottom. I just did want to like it a whole lot more. You know, I think that's valid completely because August Wilson is such a difficult... That's why we haven't really seen a lot... I'm going to go in there. I, we haven't seen a lot of successful adaptations of film versions of Shakespeare. Mm. Mammoth, you know, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yes. But, you know, you don't see that kind of successful transfer transference of, of feeling because it's very difficult to do. It's very much, you really can't get in the way of his language. You can't, get in the way. And one great example of that is Glenn Terman's performance yeah. in this. I just enjoyed it because he just stepped out of the way and was listening, like we talked about um, in different reviews. When you have a, a seasoned actor listening, it's really dangerous to be around them if you aren't responding to what they heard mm. um, instead of responding to what they said. And that, mm. that's where the disconnect can, can happen. So you saw in Ma Rainey, just like you, in my opinion, saw probably less of, but you saw it in Fences. Um, or even if you watch a Shakespearean play, you can always see if an actor is responding to what an actor heard and said instead of what the line is. Yeah. And you saw it happening. Some people were successful than others in Ma Rainey. I'm going to namely say, I'm going to start at the top. Chad McBoseman, as I alluded to, did a phenomenal job. He had a lot of words <laughs> and a lot of trash talk. And there's yeah. only so much trash talking you can do before you have to find ways to add. He was an agitator. And um, the amount of energy that goes into constantly agitating this character, then that character, and then that. Just knowing his personal battles, I can imagine how exhausting those um, days must have been for him. And I tell you what, if we remember 
two or three roles that he's played, I'm going to wash this right up towards the top. I'm going to wash this as one of his top performances, not out of like, oh, it's sentimental, but legit. It's a difficult role and it's easy to get lost in that language. Mm -hmm. And you see some people do that. I'm not going to go into that. I do have to address Viola Davis, Mm. um, Viola Davis's performance. This is a woman who is a Juilliard trained, brilliant performer who many have likened to Meryl Streep. Absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt, this woman is only going to do greater and greater and greater and greater things. The question for me is, because we're all great actors, is every role for us. I'm not the judge of that. I didn't cast her. I didn't, none of that. But what I will say is the Ma Rainey that I I think Whoopi Goldberg took over for the original Ma Rainey on stage when they um, revived. Revival. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh my gosh. The revival, Whoopi Goldberg came in and made it heavier and and quirkier and um, funnier. Yeah. Ma Rainey is the type of woman, let me just paint a picture for those of you who are like, who in the what? You know who Betsy Smith, you know who she is. Imagine the mother of her. Imagine, you know, that juke joint woman sweating on stage, taking no crap, taking names, paving the way, forging the way. And when she comes into the room, you better move. (laughs) That kind of woman has to just be. Mm. You know what I mean? You, that actress has to just be. Yes. And does Viola Davis do that? I don't know, but she sure had that language. She's no stranger to, to August Wilson's language. So right. it wasn't the language. It was just the presence mm. that I was missing there. But it's not terrible. I'm not going to sit here and go, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm just saying Ma Rainey is a big bite to chew, even for the great of us, even for the great of us. And this leads me to last and not least, um, getting off the performance and going to the driver. Ma Rainey, and like all the other plays that we've talked about that's been translated into um, a film, is a very difficult task to take on because, dang, 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 if you don't respect the two you will always discredit both. Mm. And and this is for every play. What I mean by that is there is a playwright, whether you like him or her or not, in a play, it is a dialogue-centric, it just is, period. You can't get away from it. And yet you got a medium that I can literally, in the middle of it, get up and go to the bathroom and come back, are you still talking? It takes a very special person to respect both of those things. And if you don't, it's not like, oh, one will shine over the other. It did to cancel each other out. Mm. For some reason, that's the way it works with with stage plays and and film. They just it's either it's crash or great. Yeah, it, it just is. It's not like, oh, it's pretty good. It's crash or great. And that driver, that director, George C. Wolf, I respect him so much. Oh, yes. Because aesthetically, beautiful, wonderful. I love the Chicago scenes. I love the juke joint in the middle of the woods. I loved being in the studio. It was hot. That If you dive too much into trying to do one or the other and not finding a way to respect both mediums, it's just difficult to pull off. So with that being said, if you plan on watching this, note, it is a play. There is a lot of talking. 
And some of it sounds like the same talk. Yeah. And that's hard to do. So to end it on a positive note, that driver also was assisted by a playwright and a script writer who really had the privilege of language spoken by people for those people. And so there is, um, we saw in a Q&A as, um, that Sam Jackson was the moderator of when he was talking to the actors and the director. Whenever you have the connection of an actor whose cultural makeup and DNA is given some language that is also the same and similar, mm-hmm. then there is a certain comfortable ease. So when you watch Ma Rainey, if you are part of that culture, there is a family member you'll see up on the screen. And that's what, no, seriously, that's really yeah. what's going to carry you through this movie. Because if you sit there going, oh, what's going to happen next? Mm-hmm. You really, it's going to be a challenge. And I think that's a disservice. And I thought George C. Wolf did a good job, at least, of respecting the environment of that exchange. Did everything else fall into place? I don't know. So when at the end of the day, it's on Netflix. It's free. It's Chadwick's last beautiful love letter to us all. It's Viola Davis. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's all these people. So why wouldn't you watch it? That's my question. Why would you not? But while you're watching it, I am asking you as listeners to keep trudging through when you kind of want to just veer away yeah. a little bit. Yeah, exactly. So watch it, trudge through, veer away, do what you need to do, but you will make it through it starting on December 18th on your very own Netflix account. Why watch that first look and sneak peek? We have a very interesting, uh, it's a first look sneak peek kind of combination Mm -hmm. because some of these have already been released on Amazon on Prime. This comes to us from a director who, golly gee, the show has been a fan of for quite some time. He certainly made a splash here in the States. Such a splash that his stuff was went all the way to the top of the accolades. And we're talking about Steve McQueen, who, if you don't know who we're talking about, 12 Years a Slave, he was the director for that. Then he kind of went away <laughs> for a little bit because we're all like, where's Yasky? And... Come to find out, he was developing this TV show. And the TV show focused on the struggle, the rebellion, the fight of Caribbean Brits. Mm -hmm. Folks who were either from the Caribbean or has strong family ties there. First, second generation, who knows? Yeah. And then he said, "Mm, I don't think... I want to make a TV show. I'm going to make five feature films. And I'm not talking about five 60-minute films. We're talking about full-on features in most, most of the case. Like, these are five different movies that is a part of a collection. They're, he's calling it Small Acts. And the critic will tell you why it's named that. He's been very, very clear why he used it. But it's called Small Acts, a collection of five films. (laughs) The cast alone is outrageous. Some of the most respected young and veteran black stars uh, like Letitia Wright, Malachi Kirby, 
you know, you've got other people showing up. Anyway, we'll, we'll go on and on in that yeah. realm. The first of the films is, I'm going to just name all the films. Mm-hmm. The first is Mangrove, which is out. You can watch it right now. Lover's Rock is the second film. Red, White, and Blue. Now, if you're an American, you think, oh, but if you ain't American, it's still the same colors. Yeah. And I think that's interesting parallel that stuff that happens there happens everywhere, especially mm. here. Alex Weedle and um, Education, which has, th- that's the sneak peek part of this review. All five of those films, the critic got a chance to see them. And I thought, as listeners will think, oh, this was a TV show. Oh, this is a collection of films. Oh, this is like a roots kind of thing. Like we're just going to see this story develop over time. And that's not quite the case. And the critic is going to tell you what to expect. And so I pose this question to you, critic. Mm-hmm. This is all coming out. The completion of it is December 18th. Mm-hmm. Five films over an hour apiece. Is this something that we need to really sit down, watch from beginning to end and really give our time to this? Or is this something that can be spread out and digested a little bit? And quite frankly, you know, the question, is there really a rush to get to education, which comes out? And can you watch it at any time? Yeah, that's a good place to start, actually, to make it even clearer. Now, only the first film is over two hours. Every other film is either slightly over an hour or an hour. Well, that's good to know. Yes, exactly. So it's really your investment is a little over six hours dealing with all five films. Yeah, so that is very helpful. So you could binge it. You could do that. And I'll talk through because it's not that you go from one movie and then the next one's the same and then the next one's the same and you feel like you're watching one big movie. It's not like that. But because of that, you can also watch the movie separately. And I did it that way. I did watch them separately. I watched them one day at a time and just kept moving through. So it would work either way. And and like you were asking, no, there's no rush to have all four uh, previous movies watched before education is finally released on the 18th. So you really can do whatever you want with this. That I think is a success of this collection. Now, starting with Mangrove, this is with Letitia Wright and others. Um, This is about, look, this is what happens. All five movies span from the 60s to the 80s. And this one starts in the 60s, moves into the 70s, the early 70s. And there is um, this restaurant that uh, Frank Critchlow, a real person, opens in Notting Hill. And it's a Caribbean restaurant. People of Caribbean descent come here to meet and not just eat, but to meet and convene and to plan how to make sure that they are protected by the government and not attacked by the cops. The cops target this restaurant for various reasons and much of them are racist. So the whole thing is this leads to a court case. And in this court case, these Caribbean people, these people of Caribbean descent, they decide to do some interesting things to stand up for themselves and to support themselves in court. And you'll have to see what that is. So with that said, my impression, this is the first thing you're watching, right? And I know Steve McQueen. So I was like, okay, we've got a simplicity, we've got his clarity, we've got a sensitivity, 
But in addition, there was a soulfulness to it, I will say. Because a lot of times Steve McQueen stuff is abrasive. There is no soul. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. It's like an institution. But here you felt that from him. You could feel that this was personal from him. And there were flashes of humor. So you have that to counteract the sharp and brutal moments. You see the cops do what they do. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, you have his trademark, you have some of those other things as well. And this is a major reason why when you get these weighty and important themes, they're engaging. Um, especially since, look, when is this released? What time are we in? Are we in the right headspace for all of this? So I think because of that, it worked. The acting was strong and clean. It was paced beautifully. I mean, you can tell some of these people have stage training. Hello? Hello? Yeah. Okay. So that's the thing. Now, this film doesn't hide behind its subject matter for legitimacy. It is legitimate because it's thoroughly well-made despite any minor imperfections. And also come into mind here with this one, Ref, was The Trial of the Chicago 7 on Netflix. Right, yeah. Right. But I would prefer this over that one. So, so we, we move on to Lovers Rock, the exactly. next film. Now, Lovers Rock, It. you know what I was thinking, Ref? No. I was thinking house party okay it is a house party that's the whole movie uh you have like the title says the lovers you have this young love thing going on you have the fights that break out at house parties do the cops show up at some point i just kept thinking of that movie um and lovers rock is a genre of reggae so mm -hmm. that's the whole thing it's a dance party in a house people for me it was a nice thing to come to after you get all of that in mangrove great but I thought it could have been 45 minutes long instead of an hour, 10 minutes long. That's what okay. I would have said, okay? So that's where I was with it. Fine with it, not bad, nice contrast to Mangrove. And Wait, then, so that's it? It's just a house party? And you get all of the things you would expect. Okay. So, you know, you, you get you get the scenes of them dancing, you get extended musical scenes with them dancing. And again, you get the love stuff. It's, you know, it's house party, but it's not a comedy. That's how okay. I would say it. Yeah. Okay. Now, then I was thinking, okay, this is coming from Steve's heart. Got it. Then we get to the third film. Red, White, and Blue. Yes. And this is with John Boyega playing Leroy Logan. And this is a man with a multitude of talents and skills. This man decides to give up his career as a research scientist to become a police officer. And Why? This is, yeah. <laughs> now, <laughs> this is after his father was assaulted and falsely accused by racist white cops. Okay. So why did he do this? Now he thinks he can affect change from within. However, is he the only person outside of his wife who's pregnant with their first child who believes that, who believes he can accomplish this? His father angered by this decision. His community, you're a traitor. The rank and file policemen, they don't welcome him. I'm gonna tell you that certainly not with open arms, especially since he, in the academy, when he's training, he's like, look, I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to make change. Okay. All right. Now, out of the first three films, this one comes the closest to representing McQueen's ability to document without comment. Nothing superfluous. Everything's appropriately spare. And it has echoes of Serpico. Um, though it isn't quite as masterful, I would say, as that great film. Even still, Boyega, the rest of the cast, they don't miss a beat. And they'll probably leave you wanting more, which is a good thing in general, but especially good since there are two more films after this one and this collection. Golly gee. So number four. Alex Weedle. So this is about 
a guy who grows up in the system, he's an orphan, he's not treated well, you see all of that, and he's brought up in Surrey. He ends up as a young adult in Brixton, and this is, it leads up to the Brixton uprising in real history. And this is a real person that uh, Alex Weedle is. He's a real person. He became an award-winning writer. So we see this whole transformation. He has to learn the culture of Brixton because they're like, where are you from? You don't talk like us. And this is where it's a lot of the Caribbean dialect. So know everybody. Some of the time, if you're not familiar with those dialects, you might go, what are they saying? You might need subtitles, okay? So that's what's happening in this film. And it leads up to the Brixton uprising, which was in 1981. And he ends up in jail because of this. And is he the right person to be in jail? What's that like? He has this whole thing that goes on with his uh, cellmate that you'll see, and I won't give away that relationship. So this, again, we get the brutality from Steve, but more so than in Mangrove, there is a lot of humor here. It was surprising. And that made it both sobering and entertaining. The tonal shifts were executed expertly and it didn't overstay its welcome. This one's about a, a little over an hour. Uh, so here, uh, it's another testament to McQueen's ability to direct really good, believable performances from actors, regardless of their experience. Uh, so that's what I would say. Um, and I, I really, this one was my favorite leading up to it. Interesting, but then there's still education. That's right. And the title says it all. Now, this is about a kid who's going to a great school, but he's kind of a cut up. You know, he, he acts out. He does things and the teachers are not happy. Okay. Again, we have a, a Caribbean Brit white teachers. What's that like? Hmm. And this school, it's not a black school. So what happens is the principal calls his mother in, him in and says, hey, we have this special school he should go to because this will be better for him. His IQ test proves it. He goes to this school. How special is this school? Why was he actually sent to this school? And how do his parents receive this? Now they work hard. They don't have a lot of time to be dealing with struggles at school with him. Plus he has an older sister who's brilliant, brilliant. So the question is, does he really have an educational problem? Is it the teachers? And this is a kid who wants to be the next Neil Armstrong or play soccer. <laughs> okay, that's really who oh, he okay. is. So you can see what's happening there. And I would say for um, this one, once again, McQueen proves that he knows when not to comment here. That's really his greatest gift. He knows when to get out of the way, let the narrative speak for itself. And he expects his audience to get it and gives the audience the space to do just that. As a result, many of his films are as effective as the best documentaries at displaying the truth. And this one is no exception. In the end, I was moved at the end of this collection with this one, but it was in a sobering sort of way. It's not like weeping, it's really, oh, okay, let me let that sink in. And I didn't expect that to happen at the start of this film, but it happened anyway. So in the end, McQueen leaves us with a glimmer of hope. It, it's just the right amount of hope to be believable after everything we've seen and certainly know. And it beautifully echoes the African proverb that the ref was talking about in this title that inspired this collection. And that proverb states this, if you are the big tree, we are the small axe. Well, that is available. The entire collection is available on Amazon Prime. You can watch it from start to finish. 
or you can watch it at your leisure. It doesn't sound like you are beholden to watch it all in one go. That's the beauty of Steve McQueen's storytelling. So, you know, this is definitely something to consider. Why not take a break from all the Christmas cookies just for a second and see what's going on in this man's wonderful visionary mind. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, visit whywatchthat.com. Good idea. And we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and leave comments, feedback, and you can rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next week. See you.